The objective of this message is for us to understand and practice the path that God has designed for us to experience freedom. And that path is confession. I believe fasting is the best kept secret, especially in affluent society, for gaining intimacy and alignment with God. That's why we have our three weeks of prayer and fasting. I also believe that confession is the best kept secret for gaining the true freedom that God wants to give to us. Not just forgiveness, but freedom in the abundant life. The freedom to be the person God wants us to be. The freedom to live as God wants us to live. He, Jesus promised us abundant life. And I, my observation is a lot of Christians live with a whole lot less than abundant life. And I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about spiritual, emotional, relational, all the things that really matter. At issue with confession is guilt and shame and regrets that we hold on to. And the devil tries his hardest to make Christians who accept Christ as Savior to hold on to the guilt and the regrets and the shame that Jesus wants to deliver us from. Have, raise your hand. I, should, I guess I picked this up. I should take a drink. <clears throat> raise your hand if you've ever heard or said anybody these words. God could never forgive me after all I've done. Has anybody ever heard that? God could never forgive me. Maybe you haven't said it. I've heard it. As I talk to different people, they say, oh, I, I couldn't go to church. I could, God would never want me there because of all the stuff that I've done. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There are entire industries to help people who are living with that kind of guilt and shame and regret. So I, I tried to look it up, and the best I could discover was um, kind of the counseling industry. Uh, psychologists, social workers, marriage counselors, it's a $21 billion a year business. $21 billion are spent to people to have them help others with their issues and their problems. And a lot of times, it's, it's this guilt, it's this shame, it's, it's not the practical, how do I handle this? It's, I just feel so guilty for this. I, I just, I'm, and out of that guilt comes turning to drugs and alcohol and um, other ways to make ourselves feel better. Even those not following Christ understand sometimes subconsciously, a lot of times I think subconsciously, the value of confessing or at least unburdening yourself. I talk, and, and, and here's what's interesting, is that I'll talk to people like hairdressers who will tell me, I spend more time listening to people's problems than I do cutting hair. Anybody hear that? Okay, so audience participation time. Can you think of other people who, who get that same thing? Bartenders. Bartenders. Bank tellers. Wow. I, I would not have thought that. Wow. Yeah, so when you're working one-on-one, -on -one, when you spend any time. Um, so what others? Nurses. Nurses. 
Home. Doctors, they usually don't slow down enough, but. But. <laughs> yeah. Who else? Pastors, really? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Customer service. Okay, people talk to you in customer service. Daniel? Doctors. Doctors. Home companions. Um, see who? Physical therapists. People. <laughs> Is that why they're so slow? <laughs> Pastors. Yeah, and, and I think it's because guilt and shame and regrets is so strong that it just, it almost pours out of people. And so the people, and anytime you're with some, someone will just talk to you about stuff. I've had people just I, on airplanes or just different, and they don't even know I'm a pastor yet, but they start talking to me and they see somebody who's willing to listen and they just start talking about it. I'm going... You don't even know me. and be, Why? Because it's so, there's just something about the guilt and the shame. And God's design is that the church, the people of God, the people who know Jesus as their Savior and have been forgiven so much, as Daniel and I talked about, be the people who help one another move from the shame and regrets and guilt to the freedom that God has that offers. It's so powerful that some people have spent their entire lifetimes trying to get rid of it. And when they, and oftentimes when they can't get rid of it, they'll take their own lives because it's just so powerful. David was in such a place, and next week we're going to look at um, the Psalms that he wrote out of that place of guilt when he finally confessed. Here's what we've seen, and I put this in your outline one last, um, maybe one last time. We, what we've seen with David and the debacle with Bathsheba is that he compromised, he sinned instead of obeying God. He was confronted by the prophet Nathan, and his sin was pointed out, and he experienced consequences, and we saw that the consequences of our sin have been taken by Jesus. But then we also suffer the consequences of our actions because of God's design. And then we, the final C is this confession. And we've looked at it a couple of weeks, the first, and, but confession is saying the same thing as God. So confession of faith means that we agree with God about who he is and what he does. We talked about that two weeks ago. So confession of faith is, is that song we believe. We confess about who God is and what he does. And then it's confession of sin. is to agree with God about my sin. We looked at that last week, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, which includes repentance, not just saying it, but we agree with our lives, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so confession of sin means that we respond to God. God convicts us. The Holy Spirit comes, puts his finger on our guilt, on our sin, and then the response, the confession of, of our sin is that we see it, we feel it, and, so, and we have remorse, which is sorrow. We admit it, and then we repent of it. And so that's the process of confession. And then I mentioned last week that confession is a gift, a gateway to provide cleansing and freedom. So 
God forgives us of our sin. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He forgives us of our sin. It is he and he alone who forgives us of our sin. There, we don't need anybody else. We don't need a mediator anymore because Christ has become the mediator. When he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. He forgives our sin. You don't have to be forgiven by a priest or a pastor or any other human being. That is, you don't have to sacrifice animals for forgiveness of sin. Jesus sacrificed himself. So I want you to be very, very clear. Confession of our sin, we are cleansed. Confession to other Christians brings freedom. This ties into what we were talking about. Why is it that people will talk about the problem and confess things to a hairdresser, a bartender, a bank teller? Really? It's not that you don't look <laughs> approachable, but I mean, I'm there to deposit my money. <laughs> a hairdresser, you know, a, a doctor, nurses, home companions, people sitting on airplanes. Why? Because that's so strong. And God has given us this way that I believe that the devil has kept away from us to experience freedom in a, in a bunch of different ways. So James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Open your Bibles there. We're going to talk about how to be free. Practicing confession as a lifestyle together so that we can be free. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Anybody need a Bible? We've got some in the back we can hand out. There's a lot that we could spend, well, I have a reputation, that we could spend a lot of weeks on of just a few verses. We're not going to do that. We could. There's a whole lot in this passage of Scripture because... Um, I want to get to verse 16, especially because that's what we're talking about. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders, let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. <laughs> Practicing confession as a lifestyle together. <clears throat> Several actions coming out of this passage. Number one, do life together. Do life together. The entire New Testament is about God reaching into the lives of people and then forming a people um, from among them. And, his, he, and he calls the church the body of Christ, the family of God, the army of God. We are intended to do life together. And so he says, if you're suffering, pray. Now, understand, most of the times when we read the word you in the New Testament, our culture has this individualized mindset, this independent mindset, that we will read that word you as singular. But primarily in the New Testament, it is plural. And so here the indication isn't, if anyone is among you suffering, let him go 
all by himself and pray. Rather, pray along with the other people. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Praise to God. When you come together, bring a praise, bring a hymn of praise to God so that others can see what God is doing in your life too. Is any among you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Here the elders mean the people, the mature believers, people who can walk alongside pastors, leaders, the mature believers. Call for the elders of the church. Do it together. Do life together. Keep your finger there in uh, James chapter 5 and flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. This gives us the context of how we're supposed to do life together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. Flip back in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Do life together. How are we supposed to do life together? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16 is in the context of, of growing up in Christ so that you're not fooled by the cunning and craftiness of deceitful schemes and um, but rather together, he says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Doing life together by speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking, living, teaching, praying, fellowship, evangelism, worship, all in the context of speaking what is true, but doing it in a loving way. And there is, there, it seems like in our personalities, we tend toward one side or the other. We tend toward this, what we think is love, and so we, we, um, we don't speak the truth because we think it will hurt people's feelings or it will get us in trouble or make people mad or it will mess up you know, our, our relationships. Or on the other side of the pendulum is the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not and be mean and nasty and, and harsh about it. And the devil has used both of those to keep us from doing it in the middle. Speaking the truth without love is getting in somebody's face and pointing it and, and, and making them feel like, a, you know, like they're this tall. It's, it's shaming and hurtful. Speaking only, and it's not really even love, it's just nice things. As you know, we just say nice things to each other even though they're not true. But speaking the truth in love is putting our arm around somebody else and saying, I love you so much that I don't want you to walk off a cliff. I want you to have the best life you can possibly have. I want you to know Jesus at the deepest level that you can possibly have. I want you to be free. And so we do life together, not independently, but together. I could build a whole sermon around that. Number two, face life's ups and downs together. <clears throat> Here's the typical interaction that we have. How are you doing? Right? And you could have just had the worst day of your entire life. And we still say, and the natural reaction is fine. Unless you're Russ Evans. <laughs> and then the response is, terrific. <laughs> and I want to wring his neck. Because <laughs> I know some days he's not terrific. 
one day, one day he, he said, I'm okay. I'm, and I fall, fell on the floor. Russ, I love you. I hope you're watching. Which is fine for acquaintances. Because we don't want to tell everybody, and just, blah, you know, everybody, our, our problems. But it's not good when you're trying to do life together. There are, <laughs> then there are people who never seem to be fine. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you want to go, you want to take a, a name placard and put Eeyore and just put it on it, you know. It could be the best day of their life. They're going, yeah, but what's tomorrow going to be like? So that, yeah, again, you have this pendulum of people who always say they're fine, uh, people who say they're never fine. We all have ups and downs. We need to recognize that and face life's ups and downs together. So is anyone among you suffering? That would be a down, right? If you're suffering, that would be a down. Let him pray together with other people. Is any one of you cheerful? Anybody had a victory, a rejoicing? God has worked. You've experienced you know, good things. We had, had a baby. It, celebrate together. Sing a, pray, a hymn of praise. Recognize God. Is any among you sick? Take it down. Don't try to do it all by yourself. Admit um, we need to recognize that we all, and just face them together. Number three, admit that we need each we all need others sometimes together. Some, it's tempting to think that it would be nice not to need other people, right? In fact, our culture tells us that we really shouldn't need other people, which is not reality, because it would be safer. If I need someone, that means I have to be vulnerable. If I have to ask for help, that means I'm admitting that I can't do it all by myself. And that's hard. It would be safer, easier. It would be less painful if I didn't need other people. Because sometimes when you need other people, they hurt you. And sometimes you hurt them. But we all need other people sometimes. Part of the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the, and the reason that people just kind of emotionally vomit on hairdressers and bank tellers is because it's just so there. So it's just, it's going to come out some way, shape or form. And, and so many of those people are saying, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. And then they get in the hairdresser chair and they just blah, 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 blah. Now I'm sure you've never done that. But yeah, we, sometimes we, everybody needs others sometimes. Go back to James chapter five and verse 14. What are we supposed to do when we need other people? Admit it. James 5, 14, second part of verse 14. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The typical scenario is I have a need. I don't want to admit that I have a need because I've got pride. And so I, I have to humble myself to admit that I have a need. And I don't want to admit that I have a need. And so we pull away from other people because we don't want to admit that we have a need. Oh, it's okay if we admit acceptable needs. But here we're talking about an, a deeper need than that. 
Let him call for the elders of the church. And again, elders just means the mature believers. And let him pray over him. I don't want to admit that I need somebody else to pray over me. I should be able to handle this if I just, it's me. Jesus is all I need. There's a song, Jesus is all I need. No, Jesus is not all you need. You need other people because that's the way he's designed. You know, Jesus was the only complete person. That's why we have so many different personalities, so many different gifts, so many different abilities, because he didn't intend for all of us to handle things. That's why 20-some years ago, I was, I, I was, we were over at Fort Couch, and I was talking about how I was... Um, we were moving, Chill and I were moving our bedroom from one room in the house to the other, and there was a ceiling fan in our bedroom that I wanted to move to the other one. And so I was, um, I got up on my ladder with my screwdriver, and I turned the switch off. And if the switch is off, that means there's no power, right? I found that out. Because as I'm up on the ladder, my teenage son is standing there. I put a screwdriver in there, which fortunately had a rubber handle. And I crossed the wires, and all of a sudden it went poof. No, it was a pair of pliers. It went poof and busted a chunk out of my pliers. And the lights in the house went off. And my son said, that's it. I'm out of here. And he walks away. (laughs) And I told that story. And Gary Offerman came up to me afterwards and he looked at me and he said, Herb, we can't preach, you can't do electric. (laughs) Call us when you need help. And it was at that moment when I began to have the reputation that I'm not allowed to use power tools or be involved in electricity. And I, but I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to admit that I couldn't do things. But there are some things that I couldn't and shouldn't try. And he's right. He was, he was right. He put his finger on what the New Testament talks about, is God gives gifts and abilities to different people. And so I started calling people. We don't want to admit that we, can't, that we need other people. And especially in the way that James talks about. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. It's a humbling experience when you, ha- when, when you say, you know, I'm, I'm hurting. And, and just by the way, when, it, when it's talking about sickness here, um, the New Testament word sickness can also mean weak, which means it can be physical illness, it can be emotional problems, it can be spiritual issues with sin, it can be any kind of difficulty. And so when anybody's struggling with something that they can't handle, that when they need help, call to the elders of the church, And in this case, anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Oil simply represents the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not the oil because it says in the name of the Lord. It's the Lord who does the healing of body, mind, soul, and spirit. It also doesn't, and we could go, we could spend all day on this. It also doesn't mean every every prayer for healing is answered. The The whole Bible talks about sometimes it's God's will, sometimes it's not. But pray and ask God to work. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Saving is not salvation of your sins, but rescuing from the situation. And even if you're not healed physically, if, you, if it's a sickness and you're not healed physically, you have the emotional, spiritual support of other people that will help walk you through whatever you go through. 
The Lord will raise him up. The Lord will encourage him. The Lord will help him. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Why? Because he's surrendering himself to the Lord. It's not the elders that are doing the forgiving. It's the Spirit of God in the midst. And the, whole, and the Bible talks about in so many different places where the power of God is there, is present. He's in our midst when we gather together. When we gather for worship, when we gather, he's in our midst more powerfully. And so the typical scenario for us is not to call other people and admit that we need help, but rather to pull back. And in many, if not most, churches who claim to teach and hold the Bible, we have had experiences of feeling shamed when we admit that we have done something wrong rather than being forgiven and encouraged. Am I right? How many times have you heard, I went there and I wasn't dressed right, and I felt like I wasn't welcome. Or you opened up to someone about a struggle that you have, a sin that you're, and instead of it being encouraged and helped and strengthened, suddenly other people know about it too. And that's the way the devil works. So why would I want to admit anything to anybody if that's what's going to happen? That's the danger. It is, and it's a real danger. But that's why we have to learn how to be the church. Because freedom comes from confessing in among other people. Is it possible that we're missing what God offers because we have learned to be secretive out of fear? Somehow, some way, we need to obey the Scripture. And the scripture tells us, if anybody is hurting, let them come together. And then he goes on. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, which leads us to number four. Live as iron sharpening iron together. Live as iron sharpening iron together. Iron... Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And, so, and, and that means iron, when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly sometimes, right? It, it means there's clanking and clashing. But that's the only way that we can be stronger. So verse 16, James chapter 5, therefore, because of all the stuff that he's talked about so far, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So confess when you, and, I, and I, he, he, what he's not saying is every little time you make a mistake, you need to go talk to somebody about it. No, I think what he's referring to here are what um, in other places in the New Testament are called strongholds. It's when there's um, a, 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 a habitual sin and temptation that you keep struggling with that you can't get over. You can't, you can't just ask God to forgive you and it's done and it's over and it's, they just keep struggling. It keeps coming back and it keeps come overwhelming you and it keeps causing problems and you can't get past it. And I think that's what he's talking about. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healed, freed. If it's physical, healing. If it's spiritual, healing. If it's emotional, healing. He's talking about getting Free. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working because it's the power of God. It's not the power of us. Confession then is spiritual warfare because Satan wants to hold us bound rather than allowing us to be free. 
So he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Those places of spiritual stronghold. There have been times in my life when um, I have confronted those kinds of temptations, um, difficulties, shame in my past, um, things that I just couldn't, I just, I, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't deal with it. And by going to some, a trusted Christian mature leader and asking them to pray for me, they have done so. And there, there have been times when I could almost feel it lift. And there was a freedom. It still happens. I've got several um, good pastor friends that we're in these peer kind of coaching relationships. And we'll be talking about something and, and, and some, one of them will say, you know, I, this is what I'm observing. And, and suddenly the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you need to let this go. And I didn't even know it was there. And they pray for me and I can feel it. Because, because listen to me, God wants us to live free. But he says the path to freedom is not alone. The path to freedom is with other people. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confessing means we get it out so that we're not telling the hairdresser or the bank teller. We've got trusted other people. And here's, here's what we need to experience. Here's a, here's a part of it. Is when somebody, when somebody is overwhelmed with this and they, they need to come, and sometimes they come to me, what they need to hear is this. No matter what you tell me, I will love you and I will accept you and I will walk alongside you no matter what it is. And in fact, I have more respect for you because you're willing to do the hard work of bearing your soul and admitting something that's really shameful in order to get free. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not just me either. It's trusted other Christians. That's what he's talking about. Confess your sins to one another Pray for one another, not talk about each other, not give, not give uh, humanistic psychological advice. Pray and God will set you free. The places of spiritual stronghold, of guilt, of regrets, of shame that God wants to set us free. There are places of the stronghold that must be broken and released and only God can do it, and God has chosen to do it in the context of relationships. Now, there are two roles in this, and very quickly, I want to run through this. I didn't put this in your notes because I forgot. I had it in my notes, and I just forgot. The first word, confessor, is actually not a word but I couldn't find the word that would describe it. There are two roles that all of us need to play from time to time. Sometimes we need to be the one confessing, con the confessor. And sometimes we need to be the one receiving the confession, the confessor. So hey, have you heard that word confessor? You know, it's priests and you know, different people, your confessor, the person that you confess to. There are sometimes when you need to be the one confessing, and, and look at me, 
Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how mature you get, there are some things in your life you need other people to help. I'm still doing it. I've been a Christian for 300 years or something. I've been a pastor for 40 years, and I still there are still things that God might put his finger on it while I'm alone, but it's not until I'm willing to say, I need help, that he sets me free. And what's interesting in this peer relationship with these other pastors is sometimes I'm the one confessing, and other times I'm the one hearing it from other people. You know what that tells us? Nobody's better than the other. And we need to let that go. It doesn't make you a bad person to have something to confess. But that's what the devil wants to tell you. Here's, a, here's, a, here's an all points bulletin. God does not expect you to be perfect. Ever. Well, maybe when you get to heaven. But not on this slide, right? You ch- here's a good experiment. You'll enjoy this. Try being perfect with God. He will take you to the mat for your own good because he loves you and he cares about you. This tells us, it should remind us of how important it is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Because if, if I come to you with something to confess, I don't need you. I need the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, because, because all, I, I think for almost everybody, there's stuff in our lives that if we admitted to, people would just turn their nose up at us if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, am I alone? Am I the only guilty person here? No. And so we need to be walking a step with the Holy Spirit so that when someone comes to us, we can love them and care for them and accept them and know how to pray for them. So, that's what Nathan's, that's what David's story is with Nathan. David is confronted with his sin and he confesses. And then next week we're going to look at the agony that he went through in his heart. So here, here's some scenario number one is this. I have a sin stronghold that I cannot handle. I know that I'm guilty and I need others in order to confess to and pray for me. There are times when I, I have something, I know that I'm guilty and I need someone and, I, and so I come to other people and I ask them to pray for me, hear my, hear my garbage, and, and pray for me. That's scenario one. That's when I am the confessor. Scenario number two. Another Christian has a sin stronghold in their life. They need to confess. And they need me to pray for them. That's being the confessor. They know it. They come to me. We pray. And, and God delivers it. Gives them freedom. The next two scenarios are harder. Scenario three is David's situation. David didn't, didn't recognize the sin, right? So we go back. He has an adulterous relation with Bathsheba. He kills her husband. He takes her as his wife. Everybody knows about it. And, and he doesn't even feel guilty. But Nathan comes to him and confronts him. There are times when we are blind to our sin. Here's where it gets hard. When I see some other Christian headed towards a cliff and they don't know it, 
what do I do? And do I have the ability to speak the truth in love? Put my arm around them and say, I don't want you to walk off the cliff. Here's what's hard. Is I've done that with some people and they hate me for it. And they reject me. And they leave the church. And that makes our, is it wrong to do it? No. I still have to do it. Galatians chapter 6, turn there in your Bible. Aren't you glad I skipped a lot of stuff? It's almost 11.30 already. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. There are some sins we will not recognize on our own, and we need other people to confront us. And it's in those cases where they need to be the confront they need to confront us so that we will confess. Galatians 6, 1 to 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watching. And then, so that's this, that's, you know, somebody comes to you, they know that they need to be confessed, they confess. You help them, you restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You're restoring them, you're helping them get back on the road. You're not shaming them, you're not guilting them, you're not excluding them, you're loving them, accepting them, helping them get back on the road. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one. So there are times when we can get out of sync, even as people who are supposedly mature, because we can be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Those are the cases when if I think I'm something and I, and I, I get prideful, somebody needs to come and get in my face. That's why we have a, a, board, a governance board in, at New Song Church. People who I tell them right up front, I want you to Tell me anytime I get out of line. If there's anything you see in my life, call me on it. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. We're all supposed to carry our own load, but we're all supposed to carry one another in those difficult times. When I'm blind and need to be confronted, that's, that was David. Some of the most important turning points in my life have been when people were willing to confront me in love. I, you know, I've had a lot of people who have, have affirmed me and appreciated me and patted me on the back and I go to places and I speak and I teach and I do these, you know, and people just are so, you know, but the, the transforming times, the memories that I have are when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I see this and I think you, you're doing something wrong. And I'm taken aback. Usually I don't give them a hug <laughs> because it's not, it's, it's not fun, is it? Anybody, anybody get up in the morning going, I, I wish somebody would confront me today. I wish somebody would just nail me to the wall about something today. We don't do that. But it's those, those are the times when I look back, a coach when I was in college, a professor when I was in college, a pastor friend when I was pastoring in Beaver. And, and, and throughout my experience here, there have been people, lay people in this church who have come to me and said, I, know, I think there's something, and I have to take a, I have to back off. And I say, I'm the pastor here. What are you doing? No, I don't do that. It's not fun, but we need it. Because those are the transforming. Scenario four is when another person is blind. 
and God nudges you to talk to them. That's hard. When they know they've done something wrong and they want to repent, then it can be a prayer meeting. But when, they're go- when it's somebody that is doing wrong and they are blind. So let's go back to David and Nathan. Nathan's a prophet. David's the king, all-powerful king. God says, Nathan, go confront David. And, the, and in the back of his mind, Nathan could have said, I might die. Because he has the power to chop off my head. If he doesn't like what I say, he can kill me without a trial. I could, this could cause me to die. And there were kings in the Old Testament that did exactly that to prophets. A lot of them. And so it's not always fun to say it. That's why we have to be walking in step with the Spirit. But the only way for that person who's blind to be forgiven and set free is for someone to be, have the courage to come alongside them in love, speaking the truth. Sometimes when people come to me for counseling, and they've got something. Um, I've learned, I, in, in the early days of being a pastor, I just thought I was supposed to make everybody happy. You, you want to know how well that worked? But God took me through this process. And now I've come to understand that the only way for a person to really get free is for me to push them to talk more about their sin than they really want to. And so I'll say, tell me more. Is there anything else? And I make them feel how painful it is. And, I'll, and I, sometimes I always say, that is horrible. You have done an awful, awful. It's like I'm being a bad pastor or something. You know, that is awful. That's terrible. I want you to feel how bad this is because, I, because only as you lay it on the table can God take it. If you still hold pieces of it in your heart, you're not going to be set free. And then they are set free. Not because of me. And so we have to be willing to push one another. Is it possible that we say that we are trying to be iron sharpening iron, but we are too easy on one another at times? That we want to make people feel good instead of helping them be free. Have you ever had a kidney stone? See the hands. Gallstone? A really big splinter that almost made you pass out? Any of those kinds of things? Everybody got something in mind? If you go to a doctor with any of those kinds of things and he goes, oh, that's okay. It's okay, you know. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. That's not what you want, right? Because if you've got a kidney stone stuck in a place where it won't move, you're going to die unless they get it out, right? I mean, I'm not a doctor. You know, I've acted like a doctor sometimes, but I'm not... Is it possible that sometimes we get strongholds in our lives that are just the same? They're killing us. But we're not willing to confess to somebody else and be free. Or we're not willing to confront that person we know has a kidney stone. The only way to be free and healed and whole is to get rid of it. And that's what God calls us to do. So I want to challenge us as a congregation. To be so in step with the Spirit that we will hear His nudges 
And if he says to us, I need you to do a little iron sharpening iron with this person in love to speak the truth that will do it and get ourselves out of the way and be focused on that other person to help set them free. Would you bow your heads? God wants to set you free. If there's stuff in your life, he wants to set you free. He also wants to use you to help others be free. I hope the takeaway from this message will be a determination to do whatever you have to do to be free and be the conduit as we do life together. Lord, I pray that you would take our time together. You would mold us into the body of Christ stronger and better and more committed to each other than we've ever been before. Lord, I pray that you would help us, guide us, lead us, prioritize us to use this gift, this gateway of confession that you have provided for us so that we can be whatever you want us to be, that we can be useful to you. Lord, I pray, whatever it takes to make us yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.